Hello, paranormal fantasy and mystery fans. My name is Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to The Secret Garden of Yanagi Inn by Amber A. Logan, which won a bronze medal in the audiobook category at the IPPY Independent Book Publisher Awards. And you guys know I am so excited to get to talk to this author. As always, I'm always excited. Uh, But I really am excited to get to talk to you today, Amber. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. Why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Okay, sure. Um, Well, I am Amber A. Logan. I have a PhD in creative writing from Anglia Ruskin University, which is in Cambridge, England, although I live in Kansas. And I, by day, I'm a university professor uh, here in Kansas, and, but I'm also a freelance editor, so I work directly with authors on their, uh, on their manuscripts. And then, of course, I am the author of The Secret Garden of Yunagi Inn, which is published, of course, through yes. CamCat Books. Yes, and we're so excited to have you on the podcast to talk about it today. You said you went to school in England. Did you do that in person? I mean, I guess I would assume this was not online pandemic times that you were going to school if you already have your PhD. No, well, some of it actually was. No, it was kind of a hybrid model for the PhD program. So most of it was done virtually, but then I did have to fly over um, several times throughout the course of the program to do like additional coursework type things. But then, yeah, towards the end, I mean, I graduated in, it was early 2021. So the full year before, It was entirely virtual, so I ended up having to do my live thesis defense, the Viva. I had to do that like via Zoom instead of in person. So that was a little strange. (laughs) But it saved on plane tickets, but. (laughs) Well, at least you got, I I mean, there's there's, this is a a two-sided coin here. At least on the one hand, you got some of the England experience. And on the other hand, you did not have to pay for a million plane tickets once everything was fully virtual. But wow, that is so interesting. (laughs) Oh, well, all right. Um, You wrote this lovely book that I'm so excited to talk to you about, uh, The Secret Garden of Yanagi Inn, which is a retelling of The Secret Garden. What made you choose to do a retelling? What made you choose this kind of mystery genre for it? Um, Yeah, tell us a little bit about your inspiration here. Yeah, well, I really like retellings. That's something that I've written at this point. Gosh, I've probably written half a dozen different retellings of various kinds. And my PhD thesis was actually looking at um, retellings quite a bit. So... I had decided that I wanted to write a story that would be kind of a a fish out of water type situation where the main character was kind of plunked into an odd situation for her. And I'm a big fan of Japanese culture. And again, my PhD had a lot to do with Japan and I adopted my daughter from Japan. So I have a lot of Japanese influences in my life. So I thought, well, what if my main character was a white Midwestern woman like myself who ends up having to go to Japan to let's to photograph an inn and the story kind of takes off from there. But once I started thinking, okay, well, what kinds of stories have that kind of intro to it? And I thought, oh wait, the secret garden. Because the original story is mm. a British girl who's been raised in India and who then gets sent back to the UK to live with her with her uncle. And so she's kind of a fish out of water because it's a culture she's 
kind of familiar with, but she's never actually lived there. And so that was kind of the mm. impetus for why I decided to do the retelling and why I set it in Japan. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, I feel like I have so many questions now uh, that just kind of sparked from that. Uh, well, for, first of all, you mentioned you've just always really been interested in retellings and always been a fan. And uh, do you have other published works that are other retellings? I know that you said you had other things out there. No, I haven't published any yet. My, I mean, other than this okay. one, uh, my PhD thesis involved a novel that is a retelling and my uh, literary agent is actually reading it right now. So we'll see if it looks like that'll go out on submission. Um, and then the, the first two books that I wrote, which kind of didn't make it to the, publici the publication stage, um, were also retellings. And then I'm working right mm. now on actually a novella that is a retelling of an Edgar Allan Poe story, but kind of a lesser Ooh. known one. It's called, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, the Man of the, or The Face of the Crowd or The Man of the Crowd. And um, it's, it, it's a combination of a retelling of that, but it's also loosely inspired by the, um, the Bill Murray film, uh, Lost in Translation. So it's set in like near future Tokyo, but it has like all these yeah. Poe themes. So yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that sounds super interesting. I feel like I saw that Bill Murray movie a million years ago. So, you know, not that long ago, but I definitely knew the the image immediately when you brought it up. That's so cool. And then you mentioned a little mm. bit too how um, you have all these connections with Jap Japan and Japanese culture, just really being a fan of it. Uh, did that start even before your PhD? What, what, um, yeah, made you feel so connected to Japan? Um, that's a good question. Uh, partly I blame it on my parents who used to take me to the, um, the Japanese tea garden in San Francisco in Golden Gate Park. And they, mm. they has the most glorious Japanese gardens there. And so I think that really kind of started off, A, my interest in Japanese gardens, but also just my interest in Japanese culture in general. And then as I started to get older, I started to get into anime and get into books and movies and things like that. And, um, and then in 2011, my husband and I, we adopted our daughter from Japan. And so we've been trying mm. to learn the language and basically just, you know, trying to do a lot of more cultural things in our lives to kind of support her understanding of her, of her heritage. Um, we all do kendo, which is a Japanese sword fighting with bamboo sticks. And yeah. um, we actually went and just did a presentation or a demonstration of that last night at our local Japan America Society event. Um, oh, we did wow. just our family all demonstrating kendo together. So it's kind of a thing that our whole family does. And, um, yeah, just kind of a lifelong interest, I suppose. But then, yeah, and then so that oh, was wow. why my PhD heavily involved with, like Japanese things. And Haruki Murakami is an author that I've really been influenced by. So my PhD looks at him and how he handles things like shadows and doppelgangers. And that's kind of the direction that my PhD thesis took. So. Oh, that is so interesting. I really love that. So it definitely, I was kind of trying to, to gauge too, you know, Mari grew up kind of at the Yanagi Inn and uh, I was just curious if you had any sort of ties like that. Like if you maybe also spent a good portion of your life living in Japan at a young age, but I mean, those Japanese tea gardens in San Francisco are really so beautiful to our listeners. If you have not been, yes. they are really, really something. My first ever solo trip that I took, you know, I think I was maybe newly seven, newly 18 
and I wasn't quite <laughs> sure how far I wanted to go yet. I'm very much like a, a test the water and then jump in gal. And so this was my first solo trip. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to San Francisco. And that was one of the first things I knew I had to see was those tea gardens. And they are all that they are cracked oh, up cool. to be for sure. <laughs> so I love that, you know, in addition to all of the other stuff, there was inspiration from that because I also am personally connected to that. So that is so, so neat. Um, you mentioned, you know, you have this personal connection with Japanese culture. And also, of course, the Secret Garden has that. That's so actually also a very funny and interesting element to me because I would have kind of thought the... Uh, this is a, a like chicken before the egg situation. I would have thought that um, the you had decided on doing a retelling for The Secret Garden before you had decided on the setting and everything mm. about it. So I really think that that's cool that you had kind of already planned out the layout and then we're like, oh, that kind of works with The Secret Garden. That's really neat. Yeah, and it just depends. I mean, sometimes I have come up with an idea of, oh my gosh, you know, I, I like hear a story that's in the public domain because all the stories that I retell are things that are legally I can use or not still under copyright. And so I'll hear mm -hmm. the story and I just think, oh my gosh, I have to retell that. Like I definitely want to do a um, Wizard of Oz retelling at some point um, just because, you know, I live in Kansas and it, it, you'd be surprised how much it actually <laughs> comes up, all the Wizard of Oz theming. And like my son, I, his school was putting on a play and, it, and then it's Wizard of Oz and they were doing a music for his <laughs> orchestra and they're doing Wizard of Oz music. I'm like, you cannot get away from it in Kansas. So I thought, well, that would just be <laughs> appropriate for a Kansan author to write a Wizard of Oz retelling of some kind. So that's something that's kind of bouncing around in my mind right now is how, what's the best way to approach that and how should I do it but so it just depends sometimes the story comes first and sometimes a random idea and then I figure out a, a, a classic or a fairy tale that it'll kind of map onto so sure yeah oh that is really neat I love that well okay so just to just to, to kind of press forward here I know that you had I mean, already told about all of these connections with your real life. Um, but are there other things too that are inspired? Obviously, you know, very heavy in the Japan setting here, which is inspired by your true love of Japan. But are there other things, maybe things about Mari, maybe things about some of the other characters that are inspired by your real life? Um, that's a good question. Um, the the Buddhist nun Honda San, she was loosely based on my grandmother. <laughs> which is hmm. funny because, and who actually passed away while I was writing the book. So that was kind of a, you know, oh an emotional gosh. thing to be going through because it's a book about, you know, grief and it was during the pandemic and, um, but no, yeah. So she was just a, my grandma Griffith, she was just a very tough old woman. And the, actually even hmm. the, the gesture of where she, the characters, they pull up their sleeves and they show off their bicep. That was something that my grandma did once years ago. Oh my gosh. And it really stuck with me. <laughs> Um, so, so there's a lot of things that aren't like her, but I mean, my grandma, she lived on a farm, so she was very into nature and animals. And so, mm. yeah, so a lot of that kind of was inspired by her, which was, yeah, kind of bittersweet, but, um, but for the most part, no, I mean, like I have, my mother is still alive and well. Um, so I, you know, mm. I didn't base it upon an actual, you know, death that had impacted me, but her family is from Illinois. Uh, so there's a lot of little hints of reality, I guess, throughout the story. But um, 
most part, most of the characters and things um, are pretty much my imagination, I would say. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, first, I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I definitely know this pandemic has been a really tough time for a lot of people. So I, I, I resonate with you there and I'm sorry about that, but for it to happen while you were writing this book must've been super cathartic for you too, to, to kind of almost feel like, you know, in a, this is kind of terrible, but here's a little more inspiration. Here's a little more, um, you know, but of course my heart goes out to you because what a terrible take on, on a terrible, you know, situation, but no, yeah. It, it's it's true though. I mean, I do find myself when something bad happens to me, whether it is the loss of a family member or you know other things that just happen to come up in life. At, I do feel like I at least have the angle of, well, I should remember how this feels. <laughs> Maybe mm. I can use this someday. <laughs> you know, it's almost a way of yeah finding the silver lining of like, okay, well at least I can authentically talk about this experience now. I mean, maybe that's just a weird author quirk that I start noticing. I notice it with good things too. It's not just when terrible things happen, <laughs> but I think we can, you know, kind of pick out those moments from our lives when we sit down to write and we can write them a little bit more authentically because we've been through some stuff. <laughs> Sure. Oh, I, I like that perspective. That's a, a little positive spin on just taking the things that come and rolling with it. So I like that perspective a lot. Um, you also mentioned that you wrote this in the pandemic. So this was a very recent work for you. What was your writing process like, especially doing this when kind of the world was shut down? Yeah, well, I had originally intended on going to Japan to do some of the research. And of course, oh that gosh. didn't pan out. <laughs> so I had to and because we tried to go back to Japan about every three years um, with our daughter, and, well, and our mm. son, um, you know, just like a family trip to try to just keep her familiar with the language and the culture and things like that. And so then, of course, the pandemic kind of threw a wrench in that. But there's so much research that you can do online these days. I mean, it's the best time in the history of humanity to be trying to research something on the internet. So I was able to also check out a lot of books from the, my local library, like particularly about gardening and about Japanese gardens in specific, because, you know, Mari, the main character is a photographer. And so mm. I wanted to be able to, and I'm not a photographer. I mean, I take pictures on my phone, but you know, I'm not a professional. I'm not even an amateur photographer. So I thought, okay, looking at professional photography of Japanese gardens, though, gives me a better sense of how Mari might see that world. You know, so I'm trying to see mm. my world through my character's eyes, through these books. And that was really useful because I say, okay, if Mari's walking around with her camera, how would she be trying to set up these shots? What would she be looking at? I'm like, okay, well, the foreground, the middle ground, the background. So I, I learned a lot about photography um, just from internet research and things like that. Wow. And I have a, um, a friend who's a photographer who I came to him to advise. I had him read over the book and tell me, okay, well, what type of camera would make sense here? And what kind of lights or sounds does it make when different things happen? And what kind of concerns would she have if it got wet? And all these little details that he was yeah. able to provide me with. So yeah, harvest your friends for information. <laughs> um, 
and the same goes along. I had a sensitivity reader as well mm. read over the entire book because, you know, I am not Japanese and I did not grow up in that culture. And so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't making any major mistakes. I wasn't saying anything offensive. Um, I was being true to different aspects of the culture. And so that was hugely beneficial as well. So, so not just specialists, but cultural readers, anybody you can ask to get help to make sure that like the research is um, on point is quite important. Um, yeah. And also I've just been taking photographs of Japanese gardens for years. Um, it's just, that's just kind of a, a hobby of mine is going around mm. anytime I go to a new city, I'm like, oh, is there a Japanese garden? And so I, <laughs> I like to visit a lot of gardens. So I had a lot of reference photography of my own. So that helped a lot too during the process when I couldn't actually go to Japan. So, <laughs> so for the writing process itself, it sounds like you had a lot of research. When you actually sat down to write, did the story kind of come to you in a linear way? Did you kind of map out scene for scene how you wanted to do it? You know, here's the secret garden. Here's how I want to flip that for the secret garden of Yunagi Inn. Did you just kind of start writing and see where it took you? What was your writing process like? Yeah, well, I am a big outliner. So I definitely mm. do plot out the entire book as much as I possibly can before I actually sit down and start writing. But it is interesting when I'm doing a retelling because I usually will read the book or the story, whatever it is I'm going to be retelling, and I take kind of notes and I kind of mm. highlight, okay, these are the essential elements that I think need to be in the story in order for somebody to recognize this as being a retelling of that story. And, and in this case too, I went back and like watched the, was it like 1990 something version of movie adaptation, which I loved as a kid. So I went back and watched mm. that too and took different notes. And then I set aside the original story and I will not come back to it until I'm completely done because I don't want to be overly influenced by the original story. I just want to have kind of that memory of the structure in my head. Sure. So yeah. once I had that, then I started really writing out the outline of you know, what yeah, why, why was Mari even going here? And yeah, so what's the impetus between her, you know, to get her to Japan? And, mm. and I do write out fairly, uh, fairly cohesive notes of every chapter that's going to happen. That doesn't mean that I stick to it necessarily. In fact, <laughs> I do a lot of rounds of editing after that initial round, um, because in the story, there are a lot of flashbacks to Mari mm. um, being with her mother because it's not a spoiler. Her mother dies in the very first chapter. Right. But um, so there's a lot of flashbacks to Mari with her mother. And those really evolved over time. I think mm. originally I started out, I didn't have as many of those. And I originally they were all like in chronological order and those ended up getting kind of mixed around a little bit. So I played a lot around with the structure a lot after the fact, but for the most part, I do know what the the overarching story is going to look like before I actually ever start drafting. Wow. Oh, I think that's so, so neat. I So it sounds like you are more on the planner side. We always ask, you know, are you more of a planner or pantser? And it, it sounds like you like to have your outline, you follow things, but it was neat. It's neat too, that you actually, you know, watched the movie for The Secret Garden and then brought that, you know, just kind of hint in with yourself as like, I'm going to kind of use this as a rough guideline as I kind of take my own path with it. So that is really, really neat. I'm curious, what would you say is the was the hardest scene for you to write? Oh, gosh. Um, 
it probably was well gosh i don't want to give too many spoil okay i won't talk about the spoiler scenes um <laughs> i will actually what ended up because it would probably be one of the spoiler you know it tells you the final ending i don't want to oh, do that course. necessarily yeah. <laughs> but i would say the the scene which ends up ended up being the very first scene in in the book which originally wasn't where mari is with her mother and her sister in the hospital room and mari leaves on a jog and then she comes back and she realizes that she's missed her mother's death that mm. i can't i wrote that scene probably more times than any other scenes um, and not just because it was the first scene like i said originally that came like in the middle because that was a flashback originally oh, okay. um, but there was just something about I really felt like I had to get that right. I had to get the emotions of she, you know, has been with her mother this entire time. She's been supportive with her and she knows that she's getting towards the end, but she knows that she needs to just get out and get some fresh air. And sure. so then when she, the moment that she comes back and realizes that she missed it, that's like kind of the start for all of her guilt. And that guilt is part of what kind of, drives a lot of the story where she has this combination of guilt and grief and anger and all of these kinds of emotions building in her. And so I knew that I really had to portray that, those emotions of the moment of her mother's death and how she feels in order to make the rest of the book make sense, if that makes sure. sense. <laughs> so no, absolutely. that was, that was really tricky to write and took a lot of drafts, particularly when then we shifted that to being the very first scene. I was like, well, now I extra have to get this right because if people don't like the scene, they're not going to keep reading. So the beginnings oh, are always yeah. hard to really nail. I think. I find that really, really interesting because yeah, I feel like that first scene is always so important to really hook in the reader and really get them to care about the rest of the story and to really get them to care about, you know, to, to make them believe in the world that you're creating. You've got to really hook them in that first scene. And I always find it so great when authors really make me feel something in the first scene. And I actually had to put your book down after reading the first chapter Aww. because I was just feeling very strongly. So I really love that you, I mean, very, again, the attention to detail that you put into this book, it's palpable. You know, as a reader, you really feel that from the author. So again, I feel like I just keep thanking you for doing the job that you set out to do. But thank you, really, because uh, <laughs> because I, again, like I just feel like it really makes a difference on the reader's side when you can tell that an author really put their heart into trying to get their point across. And I, I felt like the point was across. I was <laughs> grieving <laughs> through Mari. <laughs> um, so, I, and the other thing is, you know, I say put it down, but really as our listeners are as well, we're all listening to the audiobook. So really when I say put it down, I just did not go to the next chapter. I hit pause. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like, I like the internal feeling of I had to put it down. <laughs> so speaking of the audiobook, did, have you gotten to listen to the audiobook yet? Did you get to hear the voice? How was that for you versus, you know, having it written down versus hearing it in your head or hearing it in your head and hearing it out loud? 
Oh yeah, no, it was wonderful. I have listened to the audiobook and um yeah, the narrator Emily Ellett does an excellent job. She does she conveys the emotions so well in that book. Yes. In fact, um Camcat had sent me, you know, like audition tapes for the audiobook narrators and Emily mm. was my first choice because when oh, I heard good. her speaking and had Mari's voice, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds so right in so yes. many ways and she was able to do the voices of like different characters you know really nicely not over the top just like the perfect level of change so you know who's talking at all times and yeah it was so surreal to hear yeah. my words read aloud by a professional voice actor because i read my books out loud a lot that is part of my process is I will mm. read it usually just quietly whispering to myself. So my husband always knows when I'm writing. So he's like, you're doing that thing where you're just like in the corner whispering on your computer. <laughs> but because I need to hear how it sounds. Sure. So I know whether the sentences are stringing together logically. Because I guess I'm a very audio person. But um, yes, but hearing somebody else read it was, yeah, that was kind of mind blowing. It's, it's almost like, you know, the first time that you hold your book, your mm. published book in your hands and you're like, this is like a magical moment, but hearing an audiobook narrator reading my book. Yeah. It was one of those kind of magical moments as a, as an author, I think. Sure. Oh, that's so awesome. I, I love to hear that. It was such a special moment. And I am not a writer, but in even like essays I would write in school growing up, I feel like I was the same way I had to kind of, okay, does this make sense out loud? Like if I, if I'm reading the sentence, am I understanding what I'm saying? So I love that that translated for you into your actual professional writing. That is so great. I was going to say, I tell my students um, cause I teach, um, well, I teach both writing composition and I teach creative writing. And that is one thing I always tell my students. I'm like, read your work out loud. Cause you will notice errors. Mm. You will notice words that are just super clunky. And you're like, that doesn't sound right here. Or you'll notice when you're repeating a word over and over and over again, you will not, your eye will not catch it, but your ear will catch it. So yeah, everybody read your work out loud, regardless of what, it, if it's an email, read your emails out loud before you send them, they will sound mm. better. So there's my public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something recently in regards to the email thing where it was like, I always have to reread my emails 50 times to make sure I didn't swear or like offend my boss in my email <laughs> or anything like that. So what I, and it was very relatable for me because I will read, reread my email out loud. Okay. Did I, did I accidentally like say something I just absolutely did not mean or absolutely did not mean to say anyway. <laughs> um, and again, speaking of your professional writing stuff, you mentioned that you were maybe dabbling in potentially doing a Wizard of Oz type book. Are you, um, are you just, do you have other published works out? Are there other things that people should be looking out for for you? Um, do you have anything that you are currently working on that people can kind of look forward to? Yeah, so I do. In addition to being a novelist, I also do sh some short fiction and I mm. also do dabble in some poetry. So I and I do have a fair number of links on my website, um, which is amberalogan.com. And on there, I think I have a link that says something like short fiction or my work or something like that. You can click there and that'll lead you to a bunch of different um, online publications of sh um, short stories and poetry that I have done. Um, but yeah, I am working on, let's see what I mentioned the, yeah, thinking about doing an Oz thing and I'm wor working on a novella right now, which is one that was the um, 
Lost in Translation meets the Edgar yes, Allan Poe story. That's right. Yes, that's yes, kind yes. of I'm in the editing stages of that right now. Yeah, and so that's been really interesting because it was it started as a novel. I thought it was starting as a novel, and I ended up editing it and editing it, and I was like, this is just this is going to be a shorter work. And so this is my first mm -hmm. attempt at actually doing a novella length, which is turning out to be quite a different experience than a novel, but I really like it. So I'm starting to wonder whether in the future I might have more novellas in me. I mean, in addition to novels, I think the novel is still my favorite like format, but um, yeah, the novella is turning out to be pretty fun. And then my um, agent actually has another retelling that he's shopping around to editors right now. So I can't say too much about it, but Lots of retellings. Exciting. Again, I really, I really do like that style of writing. And they're all, they're not all mysteries. In fact, like Secret Garden of Yanagien, when I think about it, I mean, it is marketed as a mystery and I, and it definitely has the mystery element to it, but really it's just kind of mm. a speculative Gothic novel. And that covers sure, a yeah. lot of the, the work that I do. I think it's all, it's all speculative in some way. A lot of it has to do with Japan in some way. And a lot of them have that kind of darker, slightly creepy, um, uncanny, gothic kind of feel to it. So that seems to be mm. kind of my brand, I guess. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad that you brought that up because I completely forgot to even probe further earlier because um, I was just leaning so heavily into the Japanese culture and into the secret garden. But yeah, there were just such heavy gothic vibes, as you said. And, and the, you know, there was the paranormal aspect where she's meeting all of these ghosts. So what was your connection with that before we, we start to wrap up here? What made you decide that that was, or, you know, that that is your kind of running genre? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's just what I'm drawn to. I think when I want mm. to pick up a book, a lot of times I like, I don't always like straight out horror because I get too scared by it, but <laughs> I like things that are kind of right on the edge of, the, it's speculative in some way, a little bit scary, but not so much that I can't sleep that night or have horrible dreams, but um I'm definitely drawn to that kind of genre. And I really like the, the idea of the uncanny, the you you're not quite sure if there's something supernatural going on or not, or if something's right or if it's wrong, if it's living, if it's dead, this kind of weird liminal space. Um, so those are the kinds of works that I like. And I just think everything's better if it's a little bit speculative. You know, I don't know if I'll ever write a book that is completely set in the real world, modern day, nothing supernatural happens. I suspect, because I always think, well, wouldn't it be better if there was just a ghost somewhere? Wouldn't that make it more exciting? <laughs> so I think I will always be writing in some kind of speculative kind of genre, just because that's what I like to read. And it just spices life up a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. And I'm right there with you where I really appreciate a good kind of eerie, creepy, uh, creepy isn't even the right word, word, but, but, you know, speculative, something that, that has a little bit of, of the, the mysterious paranormal element that you mentioned before <laughs> we let you go. Um, what this is, this is a question that I ask lots of our authors, but what are you reading right now? 
Oh, well, I actually right now, I usually have several books going on at once. I'm not a one book at a time person. I'll have, I like, I have my Kindle by my bed and I'll read a little bit in the morning, every morning. Then I have another one that I read in the evenings. So actually right now I'm reading two different arcs. So advanced reader copies of books that haven't come out yet. Because one of the perks of being an author is that you get to have a lot of author friends and you often get advanced copies <laughs> of their books, which is fun. But um, so what, these are both books that will be coming out in early 2024. One of them is called uh, Voyage of the Damned by Francis White. And it is basically a murder mystery set on a fantasy cruise boat is kind okay. of the quick pitch for it. And it is hilarious and emotional. And it just, and there's lots of cool, like all the people on this cruise have like magic. They each have the, a single magic power and they represent their own little region in this fantasy world. And it's so good. Um, and then the other one I'm reading right now, I just started is called The the Book of Doors by Gareth Brown. That's coming out next February. And it is another kind of like fantasy, although this one takes place in the real world. And there's a lot of like these rare books that each have a separate magic power. And so they're really, everybody's like kind of fighting over who gets to, to use these books and they're trying to steal them from each other. And just a really fun, just kind of fantasy read. So those are the ones I'm reading right now and I'm loving both of them. So Put them on your TBRs for when they come out next year. So sorry, you can't get them right now. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, those definitely sound like a lot of fun, especially if you're interested in this kind of mystery genre. You know, again, mystery may not be fully the right word, but but the kind of like, I don't I don't even know, the, the kind of supernatural kind of, you know, speculative kind of fiction work. So I... I will be adding those to my GBRs. Thank you very much. Um, Amber, before we go, you had mentioned your website, but where can our audience find you? Where do you want to be found? Uh, let's see. Uh, my, like I mentioned, my website, site, amberalogan.com. I'm also on Twitter at Amber Ann Logan. That's A-N-N Logan. Um, basically any social media, you can either find me at Amber A. Logan or Amber Ann Logan. Just you can look for both. Sometimes I'm on both and I forgot the login for one. And so I use the other, but <laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, um, blue sky. So yeah. And I should have links to all those on my website too. So amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I was so glad to have you on and it was so lovely to get to talk to you about the secret garden of Yanagi Inn. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad that you had fun. And to the listeners at home, you can find The Secret Garden of Yanagi Inn in audiobook, ebook, and print formats on our website, camcatbooks.com, or wherever books are sold. You can listen to Camcat Unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And make sure you give us a follow on social media at camcatbooks. Thank you all so much once again for tuning in and unwrapping this book to live in with me. My name is Jess, and I will see you all next time here on CamCat Unwrapped. <laughs>